Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top, the body-positive, sex-positive show with your host Jenny Lynn and Auntie Vice. This show contains explicit language, not suitable for most minors or easily offended majors. It contains opinionated discussion about politics, race, sex, fat folks, gender, which may not be suitable for conservatives. Additionally, some shows may contain references to science, statistics, history, research, mathematics, and reality, which may not be suitable for American evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. Thank you for coming back to our show and joining us for our episode all about men. Today on the show, we're going to have three very special guests who we're all very fond of. We have Ike Torres, who's a local poet, Sean McEnany, who's run the Sacramento Poly Group, and you might know him from the other amazing podcast, Brown Chicken Brown Cow. And we will be doing Because I Got High with the most appropriate person I know to do that segment with, Ungayo Bilam. Oh, he's so funny. So we decided to do a show about men for several reasons. The biggest one is men are often left out of the body positive discussion. It's been very focused on women. If you are a big girl and if you are a big hetero cis white girl, there is lots of things in the body positive movement for you. Definitely. They've been working harder about bringing in women of color, but largely men are left out of the discussion because men are not supposed to have feelings. There's really not a lot of expectation for male health and body positivity. You know, men aren't in a lot of the the women's magazines and that body positivity they need that body positivity. So we need to be here for them because it's not just all little skinny girl women's magazines. And men have a lot of pressure for body positivity mm-hmm. themselves. They're expected to be, you know, swole and ripped and virile hard and, and virile. And while there is some level of male privilege where you can be a little heavier as a man mm-hmm. and not have as much judgment as say a woman, there's still a lot of men who feel very judged. Mm-hmm. And depending on what segment of the population you're in, especially if you're with gay men, it can be very judgmental if you don't have a certain body type. Asian men are supposed to be skinny and smooth. Black guys are supposed to be big and ripped. And these these pressures translate to men the same way they do to women. Definitely. No, I mean, I've actually experienced so male friends of mine talking about their body positivity issues and I've had men be vulnerable and express that they weren't as confident about the way they looked even when they were leaner dudes Mm -hmm. right I've experienced men in my own life that are a bit larger and Mm -hmm. how that affects their confidence Mm -hmm. like privately and I'm really glad we're doing this segment I'm really excited to unpack it with men so do you talk to your husband about body positive issues? Because your man is, in a lot of ways, a kind of typical guy. He's not out there expressing flowery emotions. He's he's not metrosexual. No. He is like straight up, he's I'm like, a dude. I'm an average guy. He was an athlete. I kind of associate him like kind of the baseball player, athlete attitude. Average build, likes beer. He's a fit guy in general, but, you know, alcohol and other things, you put on weight. and. Mm-hmm. I think that being with someone that's conscious of their body, I've not always been the most supportive. When I hear male insecurity, you're great. What are you talking about? Whatever, move on. I haven't always been really great at that. And it took Mm -hmm. a lot of conversations and dialogue to be like, men have these feelings and Mm -hmm. insecurities just like we do. That was me too. It was, we're raised in the same culture everybody else is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, man up, deal with your stuff. But you realize, the more you listen to guys, the more that they get worried about 
the same stuff we do yeah. going gray putting on a paunch acne whatever it is it comes up my partner's really great in that he'll flow with me i introduced him to the idea of gentrification by joking about his beard and the whites were coming in and pushing the blacks out <laughs> and now i feel kind of bad about it because it's like oh no because i like it i like the salt and pepper i think it's really sexy but i understand not everybody is necessarily comfortable going Right. I've I've recently noticed some some grayer hairs in my relationship. My hair is pink, so it wasn't me. <laughs> I, I cover them. Me. But I'm totally drawn to the more mature mm-hmm. male the aging with a, a person. I, I wouldn't be out ponying for a grandpa in my life. But, uh, you know, as my partner ages, I'm definitely attracted you're to getting, that. You're moving from the DILF porn into the GILF porn. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, I'm ready for this gray love. Not like, you know, Christian gray, gray hair. I'm, I'm well, and I think that that's not expressed to men a lot, too, because there's the like with women, there's this expectation that if you're going to be sexy and virile, you have to look this way. And it's like, nah, I like a little bit of a paunch. Yeah. I, you know, I like a little bit of maturity. That The older I get, the sexier that gets to me one of the things that's really sexy is a guy who's comfortable being himself yeah like a guy, if you're goofy and you can be goofy do that roll with it. awkward you know when you're grounded in who you are it's like oh that that's sexy you don't have to have all the little slick moves and the six-pack yeah. abs and everything so i think it's really important that people are themselves i really appreciate confident people i don't care what size you are if you are confident in your skin i'm totally drawn to people that are just out there and bold and and with it so when people aren't confident and i don't see Mm -hmm. that mojo behind whatever it is i always think like oh what else is going on there for me it's people who are coming across as authentic in themselves yeah. if you're funny and you just kind of people mm-hmm. will try to be funny and i don't need you to have a routine but you know when you're just talking and you can kind of relax yeah and laugh with it or they're just genuinely present and listening to mm-hmm. you that'll make somebody so much more attractive to me and i am in the typical girl in that if you're funny and you can make me laugh then we're gonna have a good connection it's how my ex-wife won me over it's how my current partner won me over men we love you we need this show for you it's about you and for our viewers we're okay with who you are yeah totally normally this segment would be much longer with us but we're not dudes so stay tuned for our next segment with sean mckinney Welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. Thanks for staying tuned with our show all about men. In this segment, we have Sean McKinney. He is the host of Brown Chicken, Brown Cow. He is part of the SAC Poly community, which is where we met. I'm knowledgeable about all things poly and computers and just generally a fantastic guy. Thanks for being on our show. Wow, fantastic guy. Thank you for the uh, introduction and the interview today. I am one of four, five, I don't know, a bunch of different people working on Brown Chicken, Brown Cow. So I, I, when I'm the creator, I'm the executive producer, and I'm one of the co-hosts. I, I do some things, push around bottles or something. I don't know. And if you haven't had a chance, I will put a plug out for the show. I, I do love Brown Chicken, Brown Cow. Definitely. Go check out their show. We have a, a link up to it on our site. It is a sex positive, body positive, gender positive, all things positive and wonderful podcast. They cover a huge range of topics on sexuality. So yeah. we brought you here today 
to talk about lots of different things. Let's start first with your health journey. I have two major health issues that I've been uh, dealing with through the years. One is uh, migraines. I've been a chronic migraine sufferer since I was about 10 years old. And a lot of x-rays, a lot of years of different types of meds, a lot of history with a lot of pain and uh, suffering. I had to one time calculate out how many years of my life I've lost of waking hours, either ramping up to a migraine. Anybody who knows, who's ever had one knows what I'm talking about. Those effects mm -hmm. may sometimes going blind, sometimes going numb, sometimes not being able to say words, then the pain of the migraine and then the coming down off the migraine is also a whole thing where you kind of, I liken it to a mini stroke because mm -hmm. you lose words on right. those things. So yeah, I've been suffering with that since I was 10. I'm now 47. So we're talking about nearly 36 years. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been, that's been a struggle. Um, I had to change the, a lot of things about myself and how I learned and how I responded to people and how I lived because I always had to be at a moment's notice to take off and run because I had to go hide from the, the pain. The second thing that I deal with, about 10 years ago, almost to the day, I had a bad accident. I fell on my butt. I was very physically fit, and I thought I was Superman. You know, mm -hmm. we all think that we're super people when we're very, very strong and healthy. And I tried to lift a buddy off the floor who had too much to drink, and he slipped out of my arms. I flew up into the air, hit my head on the ceiling, slapped my ass on the floor, and that shattered the discs at the L5S1. Two years and two surgeries later, I finally was able to walk. Wow. So I've dealt with a lot of emotional Mm -hmm. uh, problems and not problems but emotionally uh, distressed a lot of uh, de depression and stuff around both the migraines and, mm -hmm. and the body uh, uh, changing the way I was able to how do you cope with that medical trauma what are you doing in in your daily life and uh, to really support yourself is it the people around you that are great support systems what are those little things that get you through well th that's a great point and i'll talk about them separately one is the migraines i have ice packs everywhere mm -hmm. i am polyamorous so i have ice packs at my partner's houses there you go <laughs> these yeah. little these little ice hats that i wear mm -hmm. and they get to use them when i'm not around so it's great <laughs> so i and at my home i have a whole tray in my freezer with just nothing but ice packs yeah because i suffer from it constantly and i need to be able to cool myself down the aspect of self-care around migraines i guess because like i said it's been over 30 years it's just part of my life, mm -hmm. right? If you're disabled, you just move through it. And this mm -hmm. is what you've got to do. You stand up, you move, and when you're having an episode or having a problem or your body's failing you in any way, you have to do the self-care and try not to beat yourself up. The part that I had problems not beating myself up was when I lost my physicality, when I, hurt, mm -hmm. when I fell on my ass. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard because not only did I lose movement, I was in a wheelchair after six months, I couldn't move around very well and I lost sexuality, mm -hmm. right? I did, my, my, my personal sexual identity was gone because I couldn't have sex the way I used to. Even masturbating hurt. It sucked. It's horrible. Right? Yeah. And there's this one story about one of my partners. She was on Ambien and she hadn't had sex with me for a while so she didn't realize what was going on and she tried to have sex with me and I'm just sitting here cringing and, and holding on. Having people around you to understand okay i can't be as physically active as i once was i shouldn't be up there changing a light bulb but having people around you to go yeah you need to stop climbing that ladder because in tomorrow you're not gonna be able to move does it make it hard to accept that empathy around you i know sometimes when people i feel like they're being sympathetic versus empathetic i'm like no i got this i can i can change the light bulb by myself and yeah I screw myself I hurt myself all the time because I want to get things done. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. Oh, we'll help you. I'm like, 
yeah, but you want to help me tomorrow. I want help today. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I tried to do things on my own and I still hurt myself. So it was still a learning process. This has been 10 years that I've been living with the back problems. And I wish I was smart enough to just give myself a break, but I want to get things done too. Good for you though. As your body changes, like, and especially as you become disabled, you, know, you have the back thing I've talked on the show about my health issues. It's more than just aging. Mm -hmm. Like I think if I was just going gray and a little joint achy, I'd like to think I could manage that. So was there a period of major depression and that you went through or was it just redefining yourself you're right depression is a big part of it. it it really just hit me upside the head i can't be the person i was i'm not the powerful individual i used to be i can't go out and lift the refrigerator over my head and uh, you know things like that just stupid things that i used to be able to just take for granted now i can't do so there's a lot of depression i had to go to counseling i had to go to to take uh, meds to try to lift my spirits and not let myself get so dark mm -hmm. you know we all have that passenger and especially after an injury or after mm -hmm. a breakup or after a moment of whatever it is we yeah. all have it so being able to understand it talk to my counselor talk to my therapist and go okay this is what i'm feeling and then they tell me well you're no longer a fish you're a bird you can't do things fish do used, mm -hmm. used to do you have to learn how to fly yeah and so that's the the what i kept in mind what would I do differently to make this work? And also, there's, there's a term out there, um, some of the listeners may know, but it's called spoons. How many spoons do I have in the day? Mm -hmm. It's basically energy. How much energy can I push for today? And if I push too hard, I have to borrow from tomorrow. Then you just start wearing yourself down. And so understanding how many spoons I have gives me the opportunity to go out and do things. I do get out, I do go out and do things, but I have to be very wary of what it is and how much energy it takes. Do you see yourself as virile and sexy? Did that have to evolve? Did what mm -hmm. you see as sexy have to evolve? Absolutely, because I was a beast, a beautiful, beautiful 35-year-old man, right? Mm -hmm. And then I hurt myself, and I thought nobody would want to have sex with me. Mm -hmm. That was ridiculous, right? I thought it, it's over. I might as well just, I'm now a 55-year-old man in a 35-year-old body or a 75-year-old oh, no. man. I'm walking with a cane. I still have a cane today. And so I thought the physicality would turn people away. I thought the fact I couldn't go to a concert or I couldn't stand up in the back of a room and, and enjoy music or mm -hmm. whatever it was, um, but I had to be different about it. No, um, what it really came down to was my character, my personality, my, my joy of life, my silliness, my awkwardness, if I can say it that way at times. No, I was still sexy and even through all of this over the last 10 years, because this is also the same time we came out as Polly, mm -hmm. my partner and I. She opened up the relationship. I started exploring the community and saw that there are people of all different body types. There's somebody out there who's going to really appreciate your body type, but hopefully appreciate more your personality and what you do. And you and your wife have been amazingly active in the local poly community here. That's where we initially met. Because poly is practiced differently for so many people, what does it look like for you? Uh, well, we, we do what's called kitchen table poly. Mm -hmm. My partners are very close to my wife. We communicate. It's not cohabitating because we don't do that. Um, it's very much a communication standard that we really appreciate. So if I need something, I know I can ask my partner or my metamor, my partner's partners, for help mm -hmm. you know hey um, I need help can you come over and help me change the lights can you help right. me change the vents can you help so I can actually ask for help and that's one of the beautiful things about uh, being poly I've always found that 
I can actually have more people helping that are physically able than I normally would. One of the things is we don't have kids. Don't have those little munchkins around to push around and go do things. You didn't go into the marriages, Polly. No. You opened it up. I think a lot of people experience that, especially either around year 7 or year 12. Those seem to be big markers for when people decide, okay, so this strictly monogamous thing may not be working for us. With your experience and with working with so many people in the poly community, if you are ready to look at becoming poly or opening up a marriage in some way, what would be your advice? Yeah, because the fact, you know, as you mentioned, I was the de facto leader of Sacramento polyamory for about eight years. Yeah. yeah. And what do I recommend with whenever I have newbies mm -hmm. coming in to say, hey, we're interested in this or we're interested in finding this person to join us, you know, the unicorn hunters or whatever it is they're trying to find. I say, have you had a deep conversation about what it is that you two want out of this relationship? Because we all know that if we're not talking, we're not understanding, we're not hearing, we just have this idea in our head of what we're trying to achieve. So number one is what do you both want out of the relationship? If it's copacetic, if you're both mm -hmm. trying to explore yourselves and not just explore somebody else sexually but not just you know explore your own self what it is you want and find people to help you know complement that but at the same time do not beat each other up for mistakes because mistakes are going to happen mm -hmm. right oops i forgot my a condom breaks oops i forgot a condom oops you know i forgot to tell you that i was going out with somebody you know oops we used our bed there's a lot of oops and when you're in the early stages of uh, polyamory all the laws and rules and vetoes and all those get put up and I just want people to just be kind to each other and talk about it instead of just being fearful that this person's going to break a rule and that's going to break up the relationship, and it shouldn't. What are good questions for people that are exploring their relationship? What levels of sexual contact do you want? Or do you just want intimacy with someone? Mm -hmm. Are you just trying to explore new ways of communication with someone else? So you just have to understand that we're all people and we all have desires and we all need to grow how do you want to grow from this experience i think that's a great thing to ask your partner to talk to them basically work with your primary especially if you're coming into polyamory after a long period of monogamy because talk about it what are you expecting out of it what do you want out of it and do not come into it with baggage because you're going to be giving that baggage to somebody, somebody else somebody else yeah true mm -hmm. you've gone through these different iterations with your health as your body has changed mm. um has it changed your sex life? I mean, you talked about it being painful there for a while, but now that you're fairly back up and moving, like, how does it look now versus, say, at 30? It, this might just be aging and experience talking. Um, I've had my share of partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was younger, it was but that expected pile driver game, mm -hmm. right? The Energizer Bunny? Yeah. Yeah. That's fun sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not all, no, don't start there. It's not that I learn differently. Maybe it's because I do have, I have, have experience with a, a wider array of partners to mm -hmm. how sex can feel different, can look different. And I've even had partners go, I didn't know I would like that that much. I didn't know I was going to orgasm that way. Mm -hmm. I, you're the first person that has ever made me X, yeah. right? And so it's because of slowing down, loving differently, exploring differently and because my back cannot keep up with an energizer bunny if i do that and i you know i've tried to do that once or twice in the last few years and the next day or two i'm just walking around with my cane Woo! <laughs> that was fun <laughs> i had a good night yeah. i'm hobbling down the hallway i've had co-workers go what happened to you 
Nothing? <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I had a three-way last night. I don't know what your problem is. I can't handle the truth. <laughs> oh. and, and you have a good point there. Slow down. Yeah. So, like, well, it's the boy mind that says she's going to enjoy it as much as I am because that's how I have to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Well, and I think it comes partly from jerking off, yeah. you know, and the way guys do it. It's like, faster, faster, and I'm done. And, or heavy pinching or whatever. Yeah, too, and it deadens a little bit. Yeah, yeah. If people want to find you, if they want to reach out, if the... Well, uh, bcbcpodcast.com is the show, and you can reach me either on the website mm-hmm. or directly at monkey at bcbcpodcast.com. Sweet. Fantastic. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been fat my whole life. My best days were when I was chubby. I work out for five minutes and check the gym mirror for progress. Mornings are the most deceiving. Gravity lets you see yourself tight body for about three minutes and then shit begins to roll downhill to the side and wherever else it can hang. I'm an emotional eater. I'll pass on a meal every chance I get until I get home. My favorite time of the night to eat is when everyone in the house is asleep. I have the innate ability of eating things right before my fiance gets around to it. I've sliced many a cheesecake to the point of no return. I carry a lot of my childhood with me. I moved around a lot as a kid and I never felt comfortable going into the fridge. So I'd wait till everyone else in the house was asleep. That's when I'd make my move to the kitchen, tiptoeing all the way to the fridge. It's why I'm so light on my feet to this day. I mastered linoleum and wood, but my favorite was a good carpet. I knew how to open jam doors, creaky doors, doors next to the master bedroom with precision. I could inch a door open over the course of a night in between snores. It was kind of exciting. I'd creep all the way to the fridge or the cabinet, place my loot in whichever pockets were available and cover my tracks all the way back to the bed where I'd eat. I could run a mile with a handful of Lay's potato chips without breaking not even one. Coach LeBlanc used to tell me, Torres, five years from now, You're going to get you a senorita and blow up like me. I hated proving them right. I was fat like my lungs used to stop working in the middle of the night. I used to wake up at least five times a night gasping for breath. A few of those nights, I thought I was going to die. My mind would wake up, but my lungs refused to do their fucking job. I've never died, but one night I couldn't wake and I kept telling myself to wake up and breathe. I couldn't do it. I made peace that night. My body felt weightless. I felt myself slipping and it was... The same feeling you get when you reach a concentrated point of meditation. It was so peaceful, so serene. Then gasp. I didn't even know how fat I really was until my three-year-old niece broke the news to me one day. I went over to my cousin's house and she let me, actually she let the cat out the bag. She said, you're fat. Why are you so fat? I laughed and cried at the same time. The human brain is spectacular in that it can be deceiving if you let it. I was never able to see myself in the mirror. The way a picture could say a thousand fat bastard metaphors in one glance. I thought I was chubby, but I looked like a buoy bobbing on the pavement. You ever get rejected from a carnival ride? It sucks. I was gambling all day and didn't even know it. I stand in line for two hours. I even let a few people go ahead of me just so I could be in the front. The time came to get on the ride. I sit in the chair with a face full of cheese, glad happy as a bigot listening to 45. I went to... Pulled the harness down and the harness wasn't having it. I played dumb, but I knew that one of my biggest fears had come to fruition. Never understood my cousin so much until that moment.
He never attempted to go on rides when we were younger. Now I knew why. Now I'm panicking, sweating, crying inside. But my airy stubbornness was like, we getting on this motherfucker. I tried making my belly button touch my spine. But there was too much cushion refusing to push in. You see, one of the operators came over to assist. Now more eyes and more eyes and more eyes are burning my fucking soul. I thought everyone was judging me. But in reality, they just waited two hours and just wanted to experience the awesomeness of a roller coaster. I tried to give up. Now, two operators were helping me, were helping with the cause. One operator jumped in the air, almost cracked my ribs in an attempt to lock the harness. You ever notice how people always seem to think fat people don't feel pain as if girth serves as some pseudo Kevlar? Finally, finally, we all looked at each other with that. We gave it our best look. Humans that only humans can do. One patted me on the back and said, sorry, bud. I caught the other one welling up. Humanity is experienced during the strangest circumstances. I jumped off of the seat and walked what felt like a mile through a gauntlet of stairs. People couldn't even look me in the face. Shit, I got over it with two slices of terrible pizza and a bucket of Pepsi. I laughed with every bite because I know, I know there was at least one person that saw me in line and thought, I don't think his fat ass is going to make it. Welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. This segment is called Because I Got High. We feel it's very important to feed people food on camera in a body positive way. (laughs) So our guest eater today is the one, the only Ike Torres. How are you, Ike? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Ike, you are a thespian. You're a poet. Uh You're like an actual state worker. And tell us about yourself. Yeah, I work for the state during the day, but outside of that, I do theater, I do slam poetry, I'm a writer, I just perform all around. You eat cookies. I eat cookies, <laughs> I smoke weed, and I do all that kind of cool shit. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I heard you do the poem that we've opened the segment with, which is why I had you on the show. Okay. I love the piece because I think it hits on so much of what it's like it has to be that we're sitting here with mm. us and our sound guy and we're all kind of do that laughing because <laughs> yeah. we're, we're feeling it we're yeah. feeling it when did you start thinking about your weight when did you become aware of it it was literally like when my little cousin's daughter told me that and not only that but i was having a bunch of like sleep apnea waking up like three four times in the night and i couldn't get any sleep and mm-hmm. i had heart palpitations for like a year so the shit just got really scary yeah. And when was this? This was probably five or six years ago. Wow. Yeah. And so how do you maintain your health now? Well, that's been a, that's honestly has been a fucking struggle. I ain't gonna lie. I just recently started going back to the gym and stuff and getting into it. Like one of the things that I've learned is that in order for me to feel good, I need to be like working out, eating right and things like that, you know? And did you get the sleep apnea treated? Are you on a, like a CPAP or a BiPAP? No, I did it the old school Mexican way and just uh, worked through it. <laughs> I was going to go mix in chicken soup, but I think <laughs> Band-Aids. Yeah. Band-Aids. <laughs> no, nah, but it was weird, though, because instantly I started to I started to not have it anymore. Like it would even happen where I would just be sitting down, chilling like let's sack him over. Right. I would just I'd pass out and my tongue would like go in the back of my throat. 
and I couldn't breathe. And I'd be sitting there like, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake the fuck up, wake the fuck up. And that's what I was talking about earlier mm -hmm. is that one moment where I literally was telling myself like, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Right. And then I woke up and gasped for air. And then there was another moment where I literally felt weightless and I thought like, oh shit, I'm about to die. In an instant, I was like, all right, fuck it. I guess we're going to die. And then all of a sudden I was like, <gasps> thank God I'm not dead. You know what I mean? Oh my like, God. Like real shit. But what are like, you doing in the gym? Oh, pfft. see, that's the thing is like, I'm always on the cardio machines. We're? So I've always had like good, like athletic abilities. Mm -hmm. I could go running, no bullshit for some miles and not have ran in hell long, even as like being big. So like going back to the gym and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm always on the cardio machines. I'm on the Stairmaster. And Dude, I'm on the Stairmaster, you're bold as fuck. Yeah, that thing that, tried that, to eat my foot. Hey, so <laughs> that is that is some commitment to cardio. I've been getting down on the on the you know the elliptical, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So Friday Friday morning, which was yesterday, I woke up. I go over there at six in the morning, and I'm like, all right, check it out. I'm about to hop on the Stairmaster today. <clears throat> I'm, I'm gonna do ten minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So I get there, I pick my settings, and it's the interval, and it's twenty minutes. So while I'm trying to make it through this twenty minutes. The dude next to me, he's like one of these CrossFit type cats, right? And homeboy is homeboy's just stunting on me. He's going backwards. He's doing spins like no bullshit for the whole time that I was on. For the whole time that I was on. That's and me on the elliptical. <laughs> I like intentionally pick someone that they look like they need some motivation. Yeah. <laughs> And I get on right next to them. Yeah. I don't open my mouth the whole time. There's no this. And I yeah. crank the shit to the highest setting and I beast them. And, and they're just like, this fat bitch just beasted you. Intimidated. <laughs> are you, you self-conscious when you go to the gym or is this like, nah, this is where I'm working out? Because some people feel like I got to lose weight before I go to the gym because I'm too fat to go to a gym. So you got to get over that shit. The only way that you get over that shit is like to go. Go. But best yeah. believe the first the first couple weeks, it was like that for me. Like, I, damn. So I would go at specific times of the day when really no one gives a shit. But I'm so in my head about it that I think people give a shit. And everyone's just trying to get their fucking workout in. Uh -huh. But you feel like about something. Like, mm -hmm. you feel it. Other people... They don't give a shit about it, really. It's it it like halts your progress and and shit like. How do you, you know? mentally manage that situation? Are you always talking yourself down like this is just a me thing? I need to get the fuck over this, or do you dwell? Are you manic about it? No, it's just a change for me. Just a change of the mindset for me. It's like working out, like going to the gym. Every time that I go, it starts to diminish more and more till it's evaporated. Now where I just go in there and I do my thing. Yeah, and also. Another big part of it is like forgetting about what you did in the past and think about what we're trying to do in the present and mm -hmm. that because we've reached that in the past, we could probably get there again. When I went back to like my second obesity run, <laughs> I was like wild. Like I would run miles and miles and miles. Like I started getting mad addicted to this shit. Going back to the gym, doing gymnastic type shit, iron mm -hmm. cross. And I was doing flip, like little half flips <laughs> and shit. And now I go in there and I can't even hold my body weight up and it gets to you. You're like damn so you start dwelling so like i said the more times that i go mm -hmm. the more times i work out that negative shit to where now i'm just like i can't wait to do that again i tried to do like the 21 days show up to make it a habit mm -hmm. even if i wasn't gonna like super work out hard showing up and going to the place it totally kicked me into the mode of going yeah. and i had to join the no judgment gym because i felt that pressure at our yeah. gym mm -hmm. right but i i see guys in there they're big guys like you, and they're strong. The other little 
smaller dudes are gym intimidated by guys like you in the gym regularly they're not ponying up to the same weight bench afterwards because <laughs> they feel i think that same gym intimidation from like someone that's bigger more i, I love it working out i always like working out even when i was a kid i would go running for no reason my f- and you know because i'm native and shit mm-hmm. my cousins used to call me running foot <laughs> real shit like teasing me because like real i would go i just like to run i always like sports and then you should uh nurture that you feel me mm-hmm. instead of losing it you know it's kind of like the same shit with creativity it's the same thing it is the same shit with creativity yeah, yeah. is that why you still are a poet and a thespian and is that a long-term this is my career path major yeah. goal for you yeah 100%. The biggest thing with that, again, it's like that mental shit. Through life, like in a place of insecurity, once you secure that nine to five job and you're mm-hmm. full time, you don't want to go back to like the where you've already been. Damn, I remember like sleeping in my car and I remember being like broke and like now I got money and I'm not like balling or rich or anything, but I can just get the bare necessity. You're not sleeping on people's couches or you're not like I did that for years. Yes, we're, we're at that point in the interview. We have some standard questions cool. on Because You Got High. Where? The first is, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? The worst piece of advice that I've ever been given is that you, you can't turn arts into a profession. Ooh. People say that a lot. What got you over the hump to actually say, this is what I'm going to do? Because I've experienced uh, times in my life where that's that's been it, where I'm just living off my craft. Mm-hmm. There's other times, like I said, when you get the nine to five job, and it kind of interferes with that side, but it's not an excuse. At some point, you got to say, if, if this something, if this is something that I really want, then I got to just keep going for it, no matter what. Mm-hmm. My goal is to hopefully quit this year, quit mm-hmm. my full time job, and start doing my thing right. Because the only thing that a lot of people are missing, as far as creative creativity is concerned, is the dedication and like the extra hustle that you have to put in. And I think like the last time when I was doing this like heavy, I burnt myself out. But now, but that was because I was drinking and doing stupid shit like that. Whereas now I realize like you can't just be partying all the time and things like that. In order to make it a profession, you got to be kind of disciplined in this shit. It's no games, you know, you have to like Mm -hmm. really focus. You feel me? So now I'm feeling way more, way more confident, but you can turn it into a profession because a lot of the people that I came up with when I first started mm-hmm. are now doing it professionally. They put in the work and they did not quit. They did not let anything interfere with their vision, which was to, you know, sustain themselves off their art and their mind. Yeah. What's something that everyone needs to experience at least once in a lifetime? I'd say getting on stage in front of people and uh, and putting some of your ideas out there, some of your uh, you get up there you're having to fight against that that instinct that's telling you like this is unnatural it also forces you to to commit to things so i think there's a lot of things that you can learn just by taking one step on stage and getting that feeling also there's nothing cooler than experiencing experiencing something that everyone in the room can feel as a whole Mm -hmm. uh and you can feel that vibe just based on their eyes and the Mm -hmm. way that they're acting reacting to the things that you're putting out there Mm -hmm. so i just wish that everyone would get on stage one time and share at least one thought because it would change their lives that's no fucking lie what is your go-to munchie oh my (laughs) god go-to munchie it just depends i keep that shit on rotation like (laughs) (laughs) 
Real shit. So like it might be like Talenti. Mm-hmm. Talenti ice cream. That's bomb. Oh yeah. And then like last week I started going to um what's that, the East Street Bakery. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So yeah. So now it's like every Sunday that's my thing. I'm like, I'm about to go get a maple bar filled. Nice. And then like if I do it on a Saturday and I have that extra day, then I'll get two times in. But if I tell myself <laughs> to go on Sunday, so I've learned if I go on Sunday, uh-huh. then I'll definitely won't go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. So it's not one, but two. See, that's a... Uh-huh. And then what are you grateful for? Grateful for life. It's straight up being alive. Like, it's dope as fuck. And, and that's another thing too, right? It's like the whole thing with like your mindset and you know, creativity and is the ability to go outside, look around, and just be thankful for basic ash nature. Like mm-hmm. just nature in general is dope. And also seeing other human beings and seeing what they're doing on the street because we're all in our little universes. And I think that's what's like so dope about about being alive is the fact that you can see other people who are sharing in the same experience, but it's a whole different type of fucking experience and if you go out there and you just look around and you see a hundred people that's a hundred different types of fucking life going on at one time times that shit until we get to the billions and now you're like what the fuck (laughs) this is cool as shit dude and what's dope is like being up with being alive like you live so many different fucking lives i swear we we kind of like map it out we'll be like all right so you're living as a child, then you're a teenager, adolescence. Then next thing you know, you're a young adult, and then you're an adult, and, and then you're, you're over a parent, the fucking hill. and then you're gonna die. Yeah, oh, yeah. But while you're going through these this journey, all those little journeys are dope as fuck, man. Mm-hmm. Because me, for instance, I've lived hella different lives, and like I know, like every soul. I've known you through many of them. Yeah, it's great. But it's sick though. It's dope. I've liked you in all of them, so we're good. <laughs> See, like always, and I trip out sometimes because I'm like, I'm like, I longer, please. Mm-hmm. But then I also tell myself, hey, if something were to happen, there's people who haven't even got to live as long as me. So, right. so what the fuck am I complaining about? Just be happy that you're alive. Right, fucking now. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Like right exactly. now. So, iTorresLive.com. Yes, iTorresLive.com. Check it out. That's going to show you where like some of the next places I'm going to be at. I'm going to be working my one-man show, Manchild. It's from the years of 18 to 26. Goes over certain things that I've experienced and a lot of life lessons from what I call like angels and, you know, teaching me things. And I'm going to be working that out at the Capitol Stage, 2525 R Street. And that's going to be August 3rd through 5th. And then August 10th through 11th or 12th, depending on what's happening next, which is the 2018 Chicago National Poetry Slam. Oh, yeah. I'm coaching. Gentleman Slam Master. We're representing Luna's Cafe. And we got Shonuff. We got David Ann Yes, who is our Grand Slam champion. We have Jeanette Sim. J-Ro whooped everybody. Yeah. Then we have the youngster. Her name is Kaya. Calypso the poet. She's ill. If you go to IkeTorres.com, you'll get other stuff on that. And then I'm also in the process of putting together a couple videos from some of the poems that I'm doing. So that shit's going to be on there soon. All the other stuff at at Ike Torres Live. And it's going to be a whole different beast. 
Awesome. See, that's the fly shit. That's the mm -hmm. that's the being alive shit. Thank you so much. I Thank you for coming on. Thank it's you, good man. to see you. Hey, so welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. Woo! Yes, this is our segment because I got high. We are here with Ungai Obilam. That's me. He is a comic, a writer, a connoisseur, an advocate, all around sexy man. Aww. You guys are sweet. Thank you for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for bringing biscuits. Always. Always. Well, I'm glad you like my biscuits. Biscuit eater means different things depending <laughs> on where you live. <laughs> so, we're, we're here today. We're talking about all things for fat chicks. Do you have any feelings about fat chicks in general? Uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I quote uh, <laughs> Big Boy from Outcast or from the movie Friday. Big girls need love too, Craig. It's it's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah, I'm kind of a. I've been a fan for a long time. So, uh, because we're on because you got high. Ooh, I, delicious. Oh, thank you, thank you. I'm not saying that because I'm high. <laughs> They're better when you're high. You have a honey lemon. It's just straight up lemon preserve. Straight lemon preserve. Mm -hmm. You write a lot about weed uh -huh. and the the canna industry. And you've done a couple of articles recently talking about here in California. One of the issues mm -hmm. has been they've approved a lot of the larger growers. Yes. But small growers are having a huge issue getting stuff approved. Exactly. So. And that's why revenues are down. So, if you are a consumer. Yes. And you want to buy weed from a small grower or, uh, you know, farm owned by people of color or whatever. What's the best way to figure out how to do that? Go get your medical card. Um, and then get on the Instagram and look for sessions, right? Like Super Sesh, Orbit Sessions, Weed Star, LLC. I'm going to and one tonight. You're going to one tonight. Right. One there's tonight. a bunch of yeah. quasi-underground gray market farmers markets where it's all the small vendors, dab makers, growers, and the prices are great and the taxes are low. And it's fantastic. I went to one last night in Alberta. That was great. There was an ounce of weed for 80 bucks. Damn. Oh, I'm doing Damn. better than you. I'm doing better than you. <laughs> and like, I don't so, know if you are. I'm, no, I'm no. doing pretty good. No, like uh, on the 80 bucks, like I, I've made friends at those things. Mm -hmm. I love private small growers. Amen. I have an affinity for organics. Yes. I'm not a fan of fractal distillation and some other things. I don't want chemical. Like I'm going you through. You like weed. Yeah. Like, yeah. can we get some flowers? I'm team flowers. Flowers. For and so I make a point to talk to those growers and things like that. And so do you find yourself, you know, in the industry, putting yourself out there to have those relationships made with you? Or is it still kind of taboo to do those things? I've always been a fan of the grower. Like I prefer sun grown or outdoor weed to indoor weed. Yeah. Generally, I feel like you can't go wrong with sun and earth. It just knows better than you. Um, and so, yeah, I try to meet as many growers as possible. <laughs> I like to hang out. I like to hang out with cats. And I also throw uh, tasting okay. parties every once in a while, like a fancy pants tasting dinner. So we'll get together and have some good food. And everybody gets a little gift box full of different kinds of marijuanas from all over the state. Some growers and some of my homies in their head stashes and all that good stuff. I need to get on that guest list. Oh, $200 each. And how do people find your tasting parties, which are the gift bags, which I've seen are amazing. You can follow me. Pardon me while I just eat these delicious. <laughs> you can follow me on the Instagrams and the Twitters. 
N-G-A-I-O-420. That's Ungayo 420 because there's 419 other Ungayos. Exactly. Around the world. <laughs> That's what I told the cop. <laughs> <laughs> jump, man, jump, man. Quite a connoisseur and, and have a deep Why? knowledge. Do fat chicks need to smoke more weed to get high? Does, it, does body size matter? For edibles, body size matters. For sure. Um, just like booze, right? If you're bigger, it probably takes you longer to get high, but you also stay higher longer. I recommend 5 to 10 milligrams for 100 pounds of body weight for a decent high. People, some people have bigger, higher tolerances. I'm not trying to get into your math or whatever. Some people have higher tolerances, and so they may need more. But if you're a beginner, if you're just starting, start with that and then see how you feel. Because you can always eat more weed, but you can't eat less. So, as, as I go to these sessions and other things, mm-hmm. right? No. I'm not a big snack purchaser because I don't trust other people's measurements with snacks and things, right? I literally bought a gummy bear. Yeah. That was 1,100 milligrams. That's a lot of milligrams. One gummy bear? One fucking gummy bear. And I'm like, I don't think you could do math well. How do you get 1,100 milligrams on one gummy bear? It seems uh, almost like you have to fold time and space. I send her pictures of my purchases. I'm like, yep, just got this. And I zoom in and I'm like, this person really is is promoting this. Um, So for someone that's new to edibles and things like that. Don't eat the 1,100 gram. That's going to be my first point. When you talk about the actual milligram dosage, would you suggest that they start with like a tincture or an actual edible and experiment? I I think an edible is fine. I mean, uh, one of the big things in California these days are those little like five milligram candies or five milligram mints. So that's an easy way to titrate and to learn your limits. You eat three or four of those and see how you feel, or you eat five or six and see how you feel. And then you're like, maybe I need nine or ten of them. Beyond just doing weed stuff, you're also a comic. I'm also a stand-up comedian, you, yes. You're, you're quite a successful stand-up comedian. Yeah, uh, well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah. Be, we'll be blaming. Yes, yeah. it's successful. Lucrative, maybe, is a different word. <laughs> That's a successful. Successful is fine. <laughs> yes. By all, for all intents and purposes, by most measures, I am very successful at performing stand-up comedy all and over you, everywhere. You've been in it for more than a minute. At least. At least a minute. Probably about <laughs> an hour and a half. Hour and a half, yes. Um, what and do you dog see? eaters. <laughs> and now, um, you know, it's always changing. It's always evolving. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing in the scene right now? Where is it going? Where does it need to go? What's missing? Well, that's a... There's lots of questions. That's a lot. Um, I think the scene is great. I think, thanks to the internet and a lot of other things, it's really easy for every town to have a scene. So Sacramento's got a nice scene. Oakland's got a scene. San Francisco, Austin, Seattle, Portland, even small-ass towns. People have comedy and people do stand-up comedy. But the flip side of that is... Cats don't really come out to shows. People just watch shows on YouTube. And a live show is way different than a YouTube show. So if you're not famous, like when I first started, it was easy. Comedy was kind of at a boom. And so people would just go to see comedians. They trusted the club to hire funny people. And they would just go to that show. And now, if you're not on a TV show or if you're not super famous for doing comedy, you don't always get the benefit of the doubt. People are like, why should I pay 10 or 15 bucks to go see this guy? I never heard of them. I mean, they'll look you up on YouTube or whatever. I'm good for five people to show or whatever, but 
So that's been a change. And uh, the one-nighters aren't as lucrative as they used to be, which you used to be able to just, whatever, just do a bunch of shitty one-nighters for months and months and come home with money and material. And that changed up. But, but other than that, comedy is still comedy, man. You just get to tell jokes. And I will say, though, that thanks to podcasts, crowds are better listeners. Yeah, people listen way more intently, uh, and they listen a little harder than they used to listen when I when I first started. Yeah. I think it's just because they're used to listening to podcasts, and that's just people talking. So that's better, and it's easier to be a little more clever sometimes, or to make a subtle joke. Which, when a crowd is actively listening, it's easier to get that joke over than if right. they're slightly distracted. As a male comic. Um, do your looks ever come in? How, do you think about style, the way you present on stage, or is that no, just no, no. a non-issue? After I moved to LA, LA makes everybody dress up. You just right. can't help it, even even if you're just wearing a cleaner t-shirt and jeans. You're still dressing up a little more. But I found when I updated my look, people, and this sounds weird, people will take me more seriously as a funny person. Um, but that's also a part of finding your persona on stage right so like i tell people all the time comedy is like generally for stand-up comedy it's all true you take one of the funniest aspects of your personality and you magnify it make it super big and extra funny so if you're the funniest when you're angry then be crazy you know if you're funniest when you're ponderous or asking questions or whatever it is that's the thing that's going to work for you so definitely when i look more like a professor People are like, oh, clearly this man knows his <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, exactly. I teach magical plants and uh, pot, pot warts. There you go. That's what he joins the Spliffender. Excellent. <laughs> so, one of the, the common tropes, especially... I can't hear you. I mean, it's good. <laughs> you know, this no. gets a little shut down your brain. Uh, <laughs> You can take that so many ways. That's the idea. One of the common tropes in sitcoms is the kind of schlubby, dumpy white guy with a really hot wife. You don't see that as much as in black sitcoms, you know, where the majority black cast. No, because black sitcoms are real. Are there different beauty standards between racial groups, or is it something that just hasn't come around yet? I haven't really thought about it. I mean, that's just Hollywood. Hollywood's always the dude, hot shit. And when you watch the news when you live in L.A., when you watch the new shows, it's always some old gray-haired dude and then a hot woman co-anchor. No matter what. That's just how that's, they decided that's the team. So that's really more of a Hollywood thing where to be a woman on a show, you have to be conventionally, I guess is the word, attractive. Although that's not always true. There's a lot of it's shame. I would say the black dad is like the more stylish dad on the show versus the white dad is always going to be the polo that's tucked into the pants that have the pleats with the extra. That's dad style. I don't know if that's dad style. What does your husband wear? Not that. (laughs) But he's not a white dad. He's Uh a black dad, right? So he's not like Adidas. And you know what I mean? He's he's, Tracksuit. Yeah, and no, right. no, that's, like his that's his dad. <laughs> With like the so gold glasses. 20 more years, hall. I'm going to have my nice you know tracksuit. Yeah, he's and so a little he's holder on my eyeglasses. A little, a little style. more stylish. I don't Yeah, I just. Yeah. So we're at the point on the show where we ask you the standard questions. Sure, 63, 225. Aquarius, Year of the Monkey. 
Uh, Myers-Briggs depends on the day. Neutral good. Juggler. Awesome. Sorry, awesome. that's 12. <laughs> and your hands. <laughs> Big enough. <laughs> They're the perfect size. They fit everywhere. Everywhere. Patience and sense of saliva. That's how you roll a joint. What were you thinking? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I do. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? I probably don't remember because why would I pay attention to bad advice? Anything? I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing you have to learn. Like, there's going to be criticism and everything. So I don't, I try not to take that. What was the, there's an old story about the young actor and the old actor, right? The reviews came out. And the young actor got a bad review from the critic, and he says to the old actor, he says, well, I guess you have to ignore the bad reviews. And the old actor says, and the good one. <laughs> right? Do your thing, man. So, I mean, I don't dwell on bad advice. I, I mean, I'm down for criticism, and if I feel it doesn't apply to me, I don't trip off of it. And if I feel like it's kind of valid, I try to work on it. That's pretty much my whole thing. What is your favorite strain and munchie combination? I've been on Blue Dream lately. Okay. Um, but weed hardly ever gives me the munchies, and hash gives me the crazy munchies, and then it doesn't fucking matter what it is <laughs> as long as it's, there's a lot of things. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and I've been smoking, what have I been smoking? I've been smoking a lot of stuff from Green Shock Farms lately. I'm a fan of their Tahoe, Tahoe Nebula. And the tropical sleigh ride, and then I also just got some gorilla glue from the Betty Project that is pretty good. And then um, there's a Louis the Fourteenth OG from I have some in my bag. I'll use some from uh, Glasshouse Farms. <laughs> That's on my list of things. Excellent, excellent. Right now, that's what I'm on. Team made. <laughs> oh, and I just picked up some uh, some lemon haze from a cat in, at the place in Alberta last night okay, for like ten bucks nice. for an eighth. I didn't even really need any weed, but it smelled really good and it's great for clean. Nice. Oh, yeah. you know, the sativa is going to be going in the haze. It's like a pure sativa. Yeah. What is one thing that everybody should get to try once in their life? I believe the standard answer here is threesomes. <laughs> uh, Brisket in Texas is also good. Okay. Topo Chico. I've been in Texas lately. So that's a, it's a metal <laughs> I'm a fan of that. If you're a comic, I would say taming an unruly crowd. Like, there's nothing better when you're doing a one-nighter or a room that's kind of rough doing the first couple comics and have great sets, and you go up there and you just... Eat it up. And all of a sudden, they're quiet and listening. Oh, yes. <laughs> what is something that you're grateful for? Every, everything and everybody, every day. Yeah. Uh, is the thing, right? Uh, my kids are awesome. My ex-wife is hella cool. Uh, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen all the time. So I'm not like, grateful for that. And, you know, it's just a journey, dog. I'm not. It's, well, I appreciate everything. I was reading a thing, uh, and I'm paraphrasing. There was a thing on Twitter today. Like people should fall in love more often. Fall in love with the way your milk swirls in your coffee. Fall in love with the way your doorbell rings. Fall in love with this. You know, and I, I feel like that sometimes. Uh, third weekend of August, I'll be at the Seattle Hunt Fest. Thank you so much for coming. You're awesome. You're awesome. Thanks for, for the cleavage and the biscuits. Yes.
This has been a Fat Chicks on Top production with your hosts, Auntie Vice and Jenilyn. Thank you to our sound engineer, Sharon Smith, and David Manga for our awesome music. For all things Fat Chicks, we're on every social media platform. For full interviews and explicit content, please subscribe to our Patreon.